All right. It is my great joy to welcome you. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach, LA. LA, West Side. Sorry, I don't know. We're on the West, I don't know, sorry. We're in the middle of a sermon series. Um, I'm distracted, yes. In blank we trust is our sermon series right now. Uh, Americans are familiar with the language of trusting God. In God we trust, it's on our money. But uh, we're also particularly skilled at trusting our wealth as well. So we're talking money this month. And this is important because more than almost anything else, the way we relate to money reveals the posture of our hearts. How we use money is an expression of our character. It's an expression of what truly matters to us. And what we value determines how we spend our money. So we're delving into our relationships with money and wealth and to what Jesus has to say about it all. Two weeks ago, I spoke about mammon, this ancient word for wealth, and how we tend to elevate it and prioritize it above God at times. Last week, I walked us through what the Bible says about tithing and about giving. That uh, I, I shared that as followers of Jesus, tithe is optional, but radical generosity is commanded. And I concluded with a generosity challenge. If you missed it, here's what I did. I challenged everyone in our church to spend some time with God this week, to ask him to put a dollar amount on your heart, and to give that amount here for two months consistently, and then to observe how God shows up in your life. And if you want your money back at the end of that two months, you get your money back. I believe in radical generosity. I believe in supporting the local church And I believe in it enough to put my money where my mouth is. So if you call this place home, I challenge you to give consistently here for two months. Observe how God blesses your life. And if you can't tell the difference, I will write you a reimbursement check myself. And no, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is not about manipulating God to give us comfortable lives. This is about opening our palms to allow God to use us to change the world. So if you weren't here Last week, or you weren't able to attend or watch on Facebook Live or listen to the podcast, I want to I challenge you and invite you to go back and listen to the message so you can hear the context, so you can hear my heart. Today, we're going to build off last week, and we're going to talk about how our financial impacts can impact the world beyond our church. Today, I want to preach a message entitled, Giving Beyond Us. Here's how I want to start. I want to tell a story. I received a phone call this week. Um, it was a phone number I didn't recognize. I picked it up. Hello, this is Josh. It was a random guy I did not know. He said he was talking with a mutual friend of mine down from Orange County, um, that my name came up in their conversation, and that we should meet up sometime. And I get stuff like this pretty regularly. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, um, kind of random, but I'm going to roll with it. I told him, shoot me an email. Let me know kind of what some openings you have over the next month, and we'll figure out time to get together. He emailed me. At the bottom, you know, his signature, it was like a long thing about, like, financial assistance stuff. And I was like, I wonder. So I messaged my friend. I was like, I'm just curious. I messaged my friend. Hey, this guy hit me up, like, out of the blue. Like, did you, what was the conversation about? And he's like, yeah, we're friends. And sometimes I connect with him about, like, potential clients. Um, But no, we didn't talk about you. Um, Sometimes he he finds people's names on LinkedIn that I'm friends with and connects with them. I was like, I'm going to tell you, my blood began to boil. I'll be honest, I was, I was frustrated. This guy straight lied to me to make a sale. And, and he, he laced it with, with, with this selfish but, like, friendship thing in here, you know. And he even made sure to throw in that he went to Biola, which is like a sister university to, to Vanguard, which is where I went. It's a Christian university. He, like, threw it in there, too, you know. I wrote him an email. 
It was funny. I told Amanda the whole situation, and she was like, ooh, that's, and then I was, I'm going to write him an email. She's like, I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> and using as much Christian restraint as possible, whilst letting him know how displeased I was and how shady and dirty his methods were, it got me thinking, gosh, I, I mean, I was thinking about it. I think it got me, so, like, it hit me so hard because I've been talking money this month and how we value money and how we prioritize it and, it, and how it reveals our motives. And I, I couldn't help but wondering this week how many people view the church this way, that every time we start talking about money, every time a pastor starts talking about money, blood starts boiling. Oh, there they go again, the church so selfish. You're shady. You're dirty. And you lace it with friendship. Oh, and then you attach God's name onto it too. How many people think this way? How many people that we know think this way? And now some some stereotypes, they exist for a reason, right? They They just do. And to be frank, the church has been greedy. The church has been selfish at times. But not all churches are selfish, and not all churches are greedy. No, the, the, the church that is close to the heart of Jesus is not a greedy, selfish people. They're crazy, generous people. They're wildly sacrificial. And that's why I'm preaching about money this month, because I want to invite our community into becoming a group of people that can transform the world through our generosity in, in a way that doesn't just enhance our own lives and benefit our own lives. And I, personally, I just want to help redeem the image of the church. It's a kind of a personal challenge, you know, like people hear pastor, I get me, I meet strangers in LA all the time, and people hear you're a pastor, they're like, I thought pastors are like old conservative men, like white men. Like, and th- you're, you're kind of cool, and you like coffee, and you're like, you actually know what you're talking about with coffee, and you have two kids. Like, the, the, I love pushing back against this, like, stereotype of what we're supposed to be. And the church is so often thought of this, like, greedy, selfish group of people. And personally, it's kind of a challenge for me. Like, I want to help change that. I want to help change that, that narrative. My, my hope is that, is that when people hear the church start talking about money, they get excited. I would love for the community to hear the church start talking about money, and they're like, oh, awesome. Whose life is going to get impacted next? What hurt, what need is going to be met with hope? Because the church is talking about money again. I want to, I want to show you what we call our vision framework. If you've never seen this before, this is what we're all about here at City Reach LA. This diagram right here. We call it our vision framework. I don't know about you. I'm a visual learner. I like images to help remember concepts. So last year, I drew this thing up. I sent it to Nick. I was like, hey, can you make it look pretty? Because he makes everything look pretty. And this is what he shot back to me. And to explain it, if you look to the center, you'll see our mission statement. To know Jesus and make him known. This is why we exist as, our, as a church. It's our raison d'etre. It's our purpose for being. And I want you to hear this. The goal of our church is not to grow our church. I don't care how many butts are in these seats on Sunday mornings. I don't care how many people sign in on Facebook Live if we're not about Jesus. This is what we're about. For us, it always comes back to Jesus. We're not merely about putting on a good Sunday service. We're not about programs. We exist to be and to become a thriving community that adores God. To know Jesus intimately and to help other people know him intimately. It's what we do and it's why we keep doing what we keep doing. We're we're about growing people, not just numbers. We're about enriching L.A. because God loves L.A. And then what elevates our mission is our core values. It's that middle ring around the mission statement. There are four guiding principles 
and they define what we believe in and how we will behave in community. There are these deep beliefs that, like, that, that fuel our efforts here in, in L.A. Now, obviously, as a church, we value many things, but we have four deep values that we consider central. They're, they're our core values. The way of Jesus, come as you are, church is family, and local and global mission. And then the outer ring shows our core practices. It's what we do here. And again, obviously, there's a lot of things we do as a church, but there are, these are our central habits that propel us towards the mission. Our Sunday gatherings, our community groups, and the dream team, which that is anybody that is on a serving team. If you are on a volunteer serving team, you're part of the dream team. And I show this because this actually matters to us. This is not just some theoretical diagram that looks good on paper. We see this thing every week as a staff. It's on the whiteboard in our church office. Every time I walk in my office, in this office, I look at this thing. I see it. I come back to what we're about. Every single week, our staff meets in our, in our office, and we see this. It frames everything for, for us. And if what we are going to do doesn't fall into that, we don't do it. Now, you might be thinking, we're in a series on money. Like, what does this have anything to do with money? The answer, everything has everything to do with money because ministry doesn't happen without people funding the ministry. Well, that doesn't sound really biblical. Actually, if you read Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he's not just giving church advice. He's actually fundraising. Ministry is really, it's what he's doing, a lot of what he's doing. He's often not just saying, hey, you need to be like Jesus. He's saying, can you help fund this thing too? Friends, we're, we're engaging in ministry here in L.A. We're taking part in the ongoing creation of the world and the redemption and the renewal of broken and hurting people. But none of this happens without radically generous followers of Jesus. So let's go back to our core values for a second because I actually want to show you how they synthesize each other. The way of Jesus. If you hang around here for a while, you're going to learn pretty quickly that we like this Jesus guy. We're a big fan of his. And I don't think he was just good for dying. I think he really knew how to live life. And he came to teach us how to do that. So we commit to him and to his way of life. Come as you are. In a city like L.A., a city of actors and performers, we're tempted to root identity in how well we perform. We, we, we tend to root identity in what we can, we can present to other people in all areas of life show up and play the part. In a city of grinders, we're tempted to value ourselves and others based off of what we produce. And so we choose to accent that you're a human being, not just a human doing, which means you don't have to accomplish anything to belong here. You don't have to contribute or perform or play a role to be in here. So we, we attempt to create a space where you can show up as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be, right? Church's family. L.A. is a lonely city. In a city of entertaining, hiding is norm. Wearing masks, right? Hypocrites. That's what the word came from is we wear a mask on stage. We're in a city of, of performers. Hypocrisy and hiding and presenting a version of yourself is norm. Give enough of yourself to enhance your life, but don't let anyone get too close because that's how you get hurt. But Jesus says, if you're with me, you're also with my family. So here, we choose to live life together, not just sing songs together on a Sunday morning, but to be involved in each other's lives, to celebrate each other's wins and successes, to mourn with each other's losses, to laugh, to grieve, and, then to, and, and to walk through that like beautifully mundane stuff. That is just life. And even though work schedules are crazy in L.A., and even though traffic sucks in L.A., here we're family. Which leads us to mission. 
We choose the way of Jesus, and we show up authentic and vulnerable to each other, and we live life together, but the end goal is not a super friends club. It's not about an inclusive circle that we're just like, hey, let's just get in and hug each other. We have to go do something with it. Because we have what we have been given in Christ and in each other, we now need to go do something with that. For years, our church has used language of beyond us. And this is one of the ways we talk about missions. It's, it's thinking beyond our own lives. It's our attempt to, to resist turning inward, to become ingrown, like so many churches do, unfortunately, and to intentionally take up the way, the way of Jesus, living sacrificially for the benefit of hurting and broken. Micah 6.8 is one of my favorite scriptures, and it, it simplifies the how for us very quickly. This is what it says. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This was Micah's suggestion for his people. It was what God called Micah's audience to engage in. But I think it's incredibly appropriate for our context as well. How do we make a global impact? How do we make a local impact? What must we do? Simply put, that. Justice, mercy, humility. To be about justice and mercy and humility is to identify with the longings of the broken, the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten, the excluded. Because we're human, we have a global responsibility to be passionate about and take part in social and economic and racial justice. So what we do is we make local and global justice a priority. Local and, local and global mercy, a priority. We join grassroots movements that fight issues of injustice. We humbly involve ourselves in that struggle. We partner with ministries that make known the love of Christ. Ministries that take part in building the kingdom of God, not just thinking about our tiny kingdom. So today, I'm going to financially invite you into that mission, and to do so, I want to reflect on something Jesus said about our wealth. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to put it up here for you so we can just move quickly because i got a ton I'm going through. This is what he said. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want to snapshot this, this for you this morning. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. What is this about? If your life mission is to accumulate more wealth, you need to realize you're going to lose it all. Eventually. Theft, fire, rust, economic crash, a lawsuit, dying. Even with insurance, your stuff is not safe. Why? Because you can take none of it with you when you die. And if you get a chance to lay on your deathbed, some people don't get that chance, but if you get a chance to lay on your deathbed and reflect on the life you've lived and to contemplate on the death that you're about to experience, you're going to ask yourself, was it worth it? Was the way I lived worth it? Was, it, was all the accumulation and collecting more and saving more and working more, was, was it all worth it? Because what we hear over and over again with, from the professionals who work with the dying is that they never talk about wishing they had more. They never talking, talk about wishing they saved more or, or worked more. They talk about the experiences they missed. 
They talk about the relationships they would have invested more into. They talked about having wished that they lived with their palms more open, holding looser to their, to their stuff and themselves. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't just focus on increasing your net worth. Store up treasures in heaven. What does this not mean? <laughs> it does not mean live like a Christian so you collect a treasure chest and you get a crown of jewels in heaven. More jewels for your crown. I'm that language, I've heard that language in the church, and I think it's stupid, sorry. When you get to heaven, you're not going to care about wealth. Jesus was wor- good with words. He's, he's doing some wordplay right here. This is fun. What's he getting at? He's getting at living the kind of life that extends into eternity. Some Christians say, this, this world is not my home. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm on my way to heaven Technically, Scripture says one day heaven's coming down to earth. So, yes, this is our home. And our responsibility is not to just get out of here as fast as we can without any scrapes. Our responsibility is to engage ourselves in the hurt. To take on the pain and the brokenness and find a way to bring wholeness to it all. Partnering with Jesus. This is what he does. Dallas Willard used to say, too many Christians trying to get people into heaven... Not enough Christians trying to get heaven into people. Your responsibility is to bring heaven with you wherever you go, here and now. Jesus says, join me. We have work to do here, now. Work that far surpasses just collecting more stuff. So live in such a way that it impacts eternity. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart is a, is a kind of control center. In Scripture, it's kind of this control center for the way that, for who you are and what you do. And it's quite obvious that there are a lot of things that are fighting for our hearts these days. A lot of things that are attempting to control us and vying for our priority. And you can make the argument that a person's life is essentially the expression of his or her heart. Like that's what their life is. It's, an, it's a manifestation of what's in their heart. And this is why Proverbs recommends, above all, guard your hearts. Because it's the wellspring of life. The heart is a well. And it's pumping life or death to everything your life touches. And I find this so fascinating. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question we must ask is, where is our treasure? Another way of saying this, show me where you spend your money and your time, and I'll tell you what's important to you. You can tell me what's important to you, but you show me your, where, where you spend your money and where you spend your time, and I'll tell you what's important to you. Because where you spend your money and your time is what is, it shows, it reveals what you think is valuable. And what you find valuable is an expression of your heart. And, you know, people don't often think of, of relating to money through the filter of who they're going to become. But whether you realize it or not, how you spend your money is influencing the person you're going to be a year from now. How you spend your money is influencing the formation of your character right now. Jesus is is brilliant. He says, direct your wealth in such a way that it ushers your heart toward wholeness. That it ushers your your heart toward becoming somebody who impacts eternity. Which may mean I need to give even before my heart feels like it because I know who I want to become. I know I want to be someone that is radically generous as Jesus is radically generous. But in all honesty, I don't feel like being generous with my money. So I may need to push myself past my feelings before I feel like giving to giving. 
And the thing is, we do this with other arenas of our lives. Working out. Most people don't feel like working out. But if the only time you work out is when you feel like it, you might not ever work out. Or learning a language. Amanda and I are going to Italy in 15 days. Five-year anniversary. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. Yeah. Celebrate marriage. Everyone speaks, wants to speak fluently in multiple language, languages, right? I would love to speak Italian right now. But if the only time I practice Italian on Duolingo, which is what I'm using right now, it's good. The only time I jump on there is when I feel like it. I'm never going to learn Italian because I just don't feel like doing that. John Tyson, he's a pastor friend in New York. He says, there's no spiritual formation without repetition. I like that concept. Certain things in life, in life, we have to decide that they're important, that they're necessary for our lives, and then we need to practice them. And then we need to practice them. And then we need to practice them. Because it is, it is the practice of healthy disciplines that shape who we become. So Jesus says, decide where you want to put your treasure based off of what you value and let your heart catch up. Because if you wait for feelings, you may never end up giving anything. And ironically, you're going to rob yourself of becoming a generous person. So I hit this point last week. If you weren't able to listen to the message, please go back and listen to it. If you call this church home, I want to unashamedly invite you in to, to, being, to commit to being a consistent giver here. And this is not about salaries. It's not about creating a comfortable, cushy environment for our church family. This is about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. We need your financial partnership. Renting this school every week is not free. Printing costs, our bookkeeping, our storage, our office space. Running a church costs money, especially in L.A. And like I said last week, the amount is not the issue. It's really and truly not about how much you give. Because giving has almost nothing to do with the amount and with your money. It has everything to do with your heart. And I want to help cultivate a radically generous church here because Jesus is radically generous. So if you call this place home, if you call this church family, consistently give. It's essential for what the work we're doing here in L.A. But then today, I want to take it a step further. I want to invite you to join with me and join with our staff in, in this Beyond Us initiative I'm going to invite you to, to raise funds for ministries beyond our church family. Right now, I want to have Nick and Tover pass out these uh, Beyond Us cards. We are going to start an initiative today, a four-month initiative to raise $20,000 for Beyond Us work. Nick, can I have one of those too? Thanks. Today, to the end of the year, we're shooting to raise $20,000, and I, I want to show you precisely where that money is going to go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just walk us through this. This is a Beyond Us initiative, the what we're aiming to raise $20,000 for local and global initiatives. The fundraising will take place from today through December 31st. And I'm going to walk you through the breakdown on the backside in a second. The why. Local and global mission is one of our core values at City Reach LA. This initiative is an intentional work beyond us in order to make local and global impacts as well as cultivate a radical generosity in our own church community. And I have that Micah 6-8 passage right there. So flip over to the backside. I'm going to walk you through this breakdown right here. First... Local mission. It says trunk or treat, which is our Halloween community event, and other local projects. 
So I want you to stop there. I want to, I'm going to walk you through each piece here. Local mission consists of things like this. Like we have, this was our trunk or treat last year. Um, up, up here as well, we did care packages for teachers. It also enables us to do things like engaging in benevolence work in our city that just, that we're made aware of. Sometimes we get news. Something needs help. Somebody needs help. Somebody needs some financial assistance. We're able to jump on projects like that. So this fund is going to make a tangible impact in our city, but beyond our walls here. So sometimes stuff is just brought our way, and I want us to be able to have a freedom to do things like trunk or treat, which is what we're planning for, and then come up with creative ideas to serve our city. So we're going to raise $5,000 for that. The next is the Harvest Home. It's one of our local partners serving pregnant homeless women on the west side. We're shooting for $2,500 here. The Harvest Home is a residential program for homeless pregnant women here on the west side. And they don't just provide a room. They train women how to be great moms. Parental education financial training, job skills, emotional and spiritual guidance, and the goal is to set them up for success to be able to stand on their own two feet. Not to create them to be more dependent on somebody, but to actually set them up for success. Yesterday, we actually took a team of like seven or eight people. Um, we served at the, with the Harvest Home. They have an off-site storage, and we went and we basically organized this attic with diapers and a bunch of other stuff. It was awesome. We spent two hours just like setting them up to be able to serve these women well. We have other stuff coming up. I know there's going to be an opportunity for us, I believe. Um, women come into, the, into one of these rooms. They get, they get accepted into the program. And then different churches or groups of people or small groups can, can come and like redo a room for that mom. So they could paint it. They can buy all the new sheets and pillows and, and like a, a kind of a care package for that mom. I think we're going to be able to do that in the near future. So it's, this fund is going to be able to help us do stuff like that and bless the Harvest Home in multiple ways over the next year. Next is I Empathize. We're going to be raising 2500 for that. They're one of our local partners, zealously eradicating child exploitation. You know, some problems seem so vast that we don't even know where to start. You think of things like gun violence or world hunger or racism, child exploitation. How do we even begin to make a dent in fixing this problem? And sometimes the problem can seem so vast that we get paralyzed by it and then we end up doing nothing. Child sex trafficking, I mean, this is systemic evil. It doesn't need a quick fix. How do we, how do we jump into this fight to make real change? How do we even scratch the surface of doing something here? I empathize as doing it. Literally, lives are being saved because of their resolve to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. They're doing remarkable work, and they're taking creative approaches to it, to the problem as well. They do things like training truck drivers, first responders, professionals that work with kids, helping them help kids be aware, but also for them to be aware of what warning signs look like. And then they have a youth program where they've been given permission to enter schools and, and train kids how to protect themselves from being trafficked. I mean, this is serious work, literally changing the world. And this fund is going to help towards continuing them fighting child exploitation. Next is Risen Church. We're going to raise 2500 for them. They're our national partner, church planting in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the Kolar family, in case you don't know them, eight years ago. Uh, they moved here from the East Coast with a, a small team, and they planted this church. We're here because of their faithfulness, because of their obedience to God. Nathan and Jessica, they're drawn to musicians. They're drawn to creatives. They're drawn to storytellers. That's why they planted here. And just last year, they felt called by God to go plant another church, so they moved to Nashville, another culture-creating city. 
Um, they moved to the city, they're meeting people, and they're developing a team to be able to launch the church. So our funds that we're going to send to them are going to help cover, cover that, like the, the crucial first-year costs in planting successfully. Next is our global p- partners, um, 2,500, the bottom left there. Um, there are missionaries to East Africa, global partners, missionaries to East, East Africa. Due to the sensitivity and the security of their situation, I'm not going to be going in detail about their ministry because we're live on Facebook and a podcast as well. They ask that we refer to them as global partners, not use names, not use locations, not use their name of their organization when we communicate beyond this room. The family picture has been um, approved, though. What we can say is they're part of an organization that sends church planting teams to dangerous places for Christians to go. And, and they're literally sent into places where people have never heard the name Jesus before. It's, I mean, it's hard. I know in even like a very liberal place like this, people maybe haven't gone to church before. But to think somebody has never even heard the name Jesus before. This organization sends missionaries into some of the most dangerous locations in the world for Christians to go. And this family is bringing the hope of Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. So we want to continue supporting their efforts in East Africa. Next is the Syrian refugee response. Partnering with the SoCal AG Network to provide food, water, education, counseling, and health care for Syrian refugees. If you didn't know, our church is part of the Southern California Network of the Assemblies of God. I'm an ordained minister with the AG. And every year, our SoCal AG churches, our pastors, they unite over a massive project together. And this year's project, we're teaming up. I think it's about 430 or 440 churches in Southern California. And we're teaming up in response to the meeting the needs of the Syrian refugees. So leaders from our network have taken trips east to unite with ministries and organizations and leaders on the ground that provide food and water and education and counseling and health care. Check this out. The total amount that the SoCal AG is raising this year for this project is $1.7 million. And so far, with, with the churches that are already involved, $1.5 million has been given or committed. This is crazy, like huge dent, like literally changing the world. And we're joining this work. We're going to join in this. We're going to jump in. I want our church to make a sacrifice and add to this thing, to add value to this thing. And then lastly, 2500 towards the Columbia Orphanage, partnering with our missionary friends in Columbia to construct their government-mandated nursery. In August, we took a team of eight to serve at an orphanage in Pereira, Colombia. We had an honor to serve these kids and serve with these kids. We, we did homework with them. We played stupid games with them. We played soccer with them. We helped around the orphanage. We heard their stories. We talked about Jesus. We prayed with them. These kids grabbed our hearts. And as a team, we agreed that we didn't want this just to be like a one-and-done trip. I've been on missions trips where you go and cause some good, and you come home, and you're changed by it. We think they're changed by it, and then you get back to life. This one, something was different. We came back, we're like, we, we got to continue relationship here. This is family. I've been in talks with the missionaries who built the orphanage, the director of the home. They're currently constructing a, a government-mandated nursery. And right now, they need funds to help pay for construction costs. And we're going to step up and help. Um, we've already sent some money, and I want to continue funding that because they're doing serious good there. This is our Beyond Us initiative. Let's put that last slide up. This is our Beyond Us initiative. $20,000 in four months. And I absolutely believe we can do this. We can raise this. And I want you to hear this. The Houston family is going first. This is our check. For $1,000. We're stepping up first. 
we're leading the charge. And this is not to show off. It's not to say, look how generous we are. This is to say, as your pastors, we will not ask you to go somewhere we're not willing to go ourselves. We're not going to ask you to fund something that we're not willing to fund out of our own pockets ourselves. We're leading the charge. Who wants to come with us? We're at 19000 to go now. And again, the amount is not the issue here. the issue is our hearts. Can God trust us with finances in order to bless and enrich the lives of others? How much can you do? So what I want to do is I want to ask you to approach God in prayer, to prayerfully look at your finances and see how much you can sacrifice over the next four months in order to give generously towards this initiative. And maybe this isn't a one-time gift. That's why on on this... um, this tear-off piece right here, it might be a faith commitment of saying, I don't have this money right now, but over the next four months, I know I can save this much money, so I'm going to be able to give this much money. It might be a faith commitment, or it might be just a specific amount that you feel called to pull out of your savings or whatever. How much can you get? Like, can we step up as a church and be radically generous like Jesus is? Logistically, you can give at the connection table. You can give on our website through our giving page. I want to make it really easy, and, and just note that it's for beyond us, that it's not tithes and offerings, but it's for our Beyond Us initiative. And if you care, it's tax deductible too. Bow! Cool. I want to ask you to step up. That we wouldn't merely believe in local and global mission. That we wouldn't merely talk a good game about generosity, but that we would in fact be a church that embodies generosity. And I'm not throwing stats at you. I'm not throwing big numbers at you because while, while stats can help to see scale of a problem, stats tend to rip the person out of the narrative. The stat is important, but what's important is that we realize we carry the power to change a life by our generosity. Think about this. The mom who will learn how to love her daughter well. The sixth grade girl who will resist a pimp because of training in a classroom. The Nashville singer-songwriter who will find community in a lonely city. The East African single dad who will be offered hope. The Syrian family living in a tent whose basic needs will be met. Valentina or Josue or Lena who will be provided a space to help care for the babies at the orphanage that are their family. This isn't about a number. It's about people. Real people with real stories, with real need. And as a church, we have the power and we have the means to do something about it. The question is, will we do something about it? That's on us. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Micah 6.8. It's on your card here. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Sometimes we overcomplicate being a Christian. Let's simplify it for a moment. Let's be all about justice. Let's be all about mercy. Let's be all about humility. Do you know how much more wholesome our world would be if Christians were simply and actually about justice and mercy and humility? I mean, you just throw out doctrine for a moment. You throw out church attendance and Bible reading and fasting. If Christians simply lived in a way that was rooted in justice and mercy and humility. Gosh, if just our church actually lived this out, we would make a profound impact in LA. And as what I'm, what, and what I'm expressing today is we can profoundly impact the rest of the world too, if we choose. 
Will we be radically generous like Jesus is? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for our church. And thank you for how you have blessed our church family in so many ways, God, not just financially, but including financially, God, you've blessed our church family. So we thank you for all that you've placed in our hands. And I pray in this moment, whether somebody's sitting in this room or listening on a screen or on their, their earbuds right now, God, that, that you would pull on their hearts, God, that this wouldn't be about an emotional response. That wouldn't be that just some persuasive talk to get people to give money, but God, that you would be transforming hearts right now to be radically generous as you are, to open up our palms with the stuff that you've given us in order to enhance the lives of others, to cause wholeness and bring hope and bring renewal to people that need it, God. May we be that people. So we give you room and space right now in this room to work on our hearts as you see fit. We ask this all in faith in your name, Jesus. Amen.